This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Matt Chernoff from 680 The Fans, Chuck and Chernoff Show here. And I want to say thanks for listening to today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. You can find it on Apple, Spotify, and all your favorite podcast apps. Chase Thomas went to Parkview in North Georgia. He's a local Atlanta kid, and he won't let the Luca versus Trey thing go. He interned with us back in the day, and you'll always remember him. Anyway, definitely go check out ChaseThomasPodcast.com where you can find all of Chase's previous episodes, all of his articles, and do him a solid. Leave him a rating and review if you're an Apple Podcast listener. Reminder to listen to our show, Chuck and Chernoff, Monday through Friday, 3 to 7 on 680 The Fan, and subscribe to my podcast as well. Welcome to Matlana, wherever you get your podcasts. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, and welcome to a Tuesday evening edition of the Chase Thomas podcast. I am now joined by Sports Illustrated's Ross Dellinger. Ross, good evening, sir. How are you doing? Good. How are you? I am good, man. We were just talking before we got started that I imploded on a grad school orientation call, so. I, I'm, that was my tune-up. That was my cold open. That was how I uh, got ready for this podcast with you this evening. So everything is going to be better than what it was no more than an hour ago. So things are looking up. <laughs> All right. Good. We need some positive uh, news in, during this time. Absolutely. Um, have you just uh, – you don't have to answer this if you don't want to, but have you in your reporting um, with different college coaches, administrators, or anything like that, have you ever found yourself where you've just imploded on the phone where you're like, this interview could not go anywhere, so I, I, I need to get off this call? Oh, I'm sure I have. Uh, you know, you, you try to avoid such things. Uh, certainly doing more Zoom calls now you're, when you're on camera doesn't, uh, doesn't make things any easier. Mm. So uh, I'm sure I have along the way. Yeah. Um, well, I want to ask you about it. You've written a lot of great pieces uh, covering what's going to happen with college football this fall. I can tell from your somber tone as we got started here in terms of just needing some good news. Um, it's it's so hard. Like I, I imagine from your end when you're reporting and you're putting out your stories that you get a lot of pushback from college football fans, right? Is that been by and large the – because I see it with Dan Wolken a lot and people – who are just not cynical, but people misconstrue um, doubts and uncertainty about where things are going and not playing in a bubble and things like that. And just these are very real world, just like this is our objective perspective on this thing. We obviously want it to happen. You want it to happen. We all want it to happen. But there are just a lot of a lot of roadblocks here. And you cite um, a Stanford, a former Stanford player and in, uh, in your uh, one of your latest pieces um, when you were talking about the comparison to Major League Baseball and everything. Um, what what kind of pushback have you gotten and what has been the fan response about the state of college football and whether or not they should even play this fall? It, it's been frustrating at times. You know, um, I'm not uh, really a, a columnist. Uh, I, I uh, kind of stick to reporting um, the, the news and features and things like that. So I don't do a whole lot of columns or opinion stories um and and so this isn't necessarily my opinion i'm writing it's it's almost all of it's coming from the uh the opinions and thoughts of several people who are in and around college athletics from uh, medical experts who are advising uh officials to athletic directors to um, support staff members of football teams to uh, conference commissioners. So we're just taking what they have said and, and we are putting it into a more uh, readable document. And sometimes 
I think fans act like this is our opinion. Yeah. Uh, when it when it's it's not at all, or at least for me, it's it's not at all. What have the powers that be that you talk to behind the scenes learned from MLB's mistakes and what they're doing thus far? Hmm. Well, it, it I think it tells us all that in order to succeed and complete a season without too many interruptions, you must have a bubble of some sort. Mm -hmm. And that, uh, you know, that's not, it's easier said than done uh, as far as having a bubble in college sports. It's, it's not, um, it's not a very easy thing to do because you'll, you have to have students on campus going to class and, College kids are of a certain age. They're going to do things maybe that uh, their older brethren are not. They're going to make decisions that uh, others are not. So it's, it's just, you know, they're not paid like pro athletes. So you can't sequester them in one place. And there's 100, 150 teams. So having a college sports bubble is pretty um, pretty much a non-starter. And MLB is showing that unless you have one, you're going to have problems. And I think everybody knows that college sports if, or college football, if it does happen, is going to have problems. It's just how many problems will it have? Is there one conference commissioner more than others that's, I, I guess, that qualifies as more nervous and more skeptical than others? Or is there uh, more coaches that you talk to more nervous in certain conferences? How does how's that been? I think the Big Ten has made quite clear that it is uh, being a little more cautious uh, it in the Pac-12 than maybe some other conferences. Uh, they were the first two to go conference only. Uh, they are also, uh, right now, the Big Ten has been delaying releasing their schedule because of some things that have happened within the conference. So they are being pretty cautious about things, uh, a little more cautious than some other leagues around the nation. So that, yeah, those are the Big Ten and the Pac-12 have, have certainly been more on edge. And honestly, as we sit here today on Tuesday night, I'm not certain when the Big Ten is going to announce their schedule. And it seems from reports up there in uh, Big Ten country that uh, there could be, you know, some doubt in that uh, a, a season even happens. So it's it's interesting right now what's going on up there. I, I love the development in Mississippi where the governor is just like, I want college football back. Like it's very Southeastern conference E to be like, I, now we need to take mass seriously because college football is literally on the brink and I need my egg bowl. Like that is where we're at in uh, today's society. But is that a, like, was that a thing where you were like, Oh, this is, this is a thing. Now they actually are starting to get it a little bit where like, if we do not take this seriously, then college football especially in the south will not make it through a full season it is it's uh you know this is a very mississippi southern kind of thing to to use college football as the tool to in you know force people or require people or encourage people to you know um take this seriously yeah. and, and, and meet these standards and protocols and things. So, but that's how it is down there. You know, there's uh, not a ton of Southern states have, or at least Mississippi, we're talking about Mississippi. So Mississippi and Arkansas don't have big professional sports teams mm -hmm. and everything is just centered around college sports there, not just football, but college baseball as well. Those things are, are significant to the economies of the states and so governors are smart they're using the biggest uh economic booster and most popular one of the most popular things to you know uh, try to encourage and get people mobilized behind this cause yeah whatever whatever we need to do um it's okay with me um you mentioned in your piece on uh, when you were comparing it to the major, to Major League Baseball and what they're doing, the hybrid model, like Duke is doing something where their freshmen and sophomores are on campus, but the juniors and seniors are not. But the football players, if you're a junior or senior, you get to come on campus. Like one of the interesting notes is that 
you say that like basically the hybrid model is not about the academic body it's about saving football is that something you learn where it's like if some schools are like doing a little bit of both and that means they really just doing whatever they can because they know if they just do all online they can't have football right in some schools they even are doing all online they'll have they'll have students on campus living but they will not be attending class mm-hmm. on campus it's uh a little bizarre yeah. uh, and i think uh you, we can all kind of see through what's happening, and that is that uh, at least Power Five major college administrators are wanting, you know, badly enough and needing to um, to have football that they are, in a way, uh, they are uh, constructing their academic model uh, to appease the masses who realize that student athletes are also students and uh and you know this nil the name image likeness fight that's going on right now in congress is all a part of this as well so it's a lot about optics um and right now the hybrid model is a, i guess appeasing a certain uh um, amount of high-ranking people enough but clearly it's all about making sure that we can still have on-campus athletic activities. Yeah, I um, this was something we all thought about when USC in California was the first to just be like, yeah, this is not happening. We're not going back to school this fall and everything else, and like how the optics would look. Um, what have you learned from different coaches and things like that? What have uh, administrators said about the optics? Has that been like the biggest driving force of just how do we do this and do it so it it like they're at that point it's just their their employees if you real like the optics of just yeah. i don't know how you still pretend they're student athletes if it's all online and no kids are on campus but you still have the football players and maybe the basketball team come back on uh, yeah optics are yeah i mean they are significant to everything that's happened this summer i mean i i uh was texting with a football coach after i saw some photos of fall camp that was being held in Oklahoma and, and the uh, players were wearing helmets and they were wearing a mask on their face underneath the helmet and all these players are being tested weekly obviously and so I was texting some people asking why are they wearing why are they having to wear a mask when they're tested maybe even multiple times a week and they have the helmet on and all that like what's the deal and the response back was as you'd expect optics yeah. you know and it's all about how it looks. So it's, it's, it is. It's a very big piece right now in college athletics, especially, again, because of the athlete compensation issues that are arising. Well, speaking of things, uh, speaking of optics and things that may not necessarily make sense, um, LSU players, not big fans of the new screen protector that goes down. And um, we saw a little bit of that, I'm sure, or drawn and LSU did not like that that got out. Um, that they're already out on the new face mask. But um, it's also interesting because we read reports, um, I forgot who it was, who's quite, I think it was a New York Times piece that illuminated this, where that doesn't really help, that it's going to get transmitted uh, even with this little extra screen protector, that this doesn't really go a long way. It's all about the testing and the rapid response and uh, not getting false positives or false negatives and all that kind of stuff. Like, that is the bigger thing. But ultimately, if you're going to do this and they're going to play, it's still going to get out. You're still going to hit each other. You're still going to be near each other. Like it's, it seems like just an optics thing to add another layer of protection to the face mask. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, it, it is. It's, it's, uh, I don't know what, you know, protection it's, it's going to give. Cause these, these players are, like I said, I mean, you know, they're, they're trying to keep social distancing and all within the facility, but, uh, let's be clear, they're they're hanging out outside yeah. of the facility together, and, and that's where actually a lot of cases have, have come from, is social gatherings in the community. So it is. It's all about what things look like, and it has been uh, for a while. Um, the SEC, they unveiled their conference only schedule. Um, what does that mean for most of the, the teams in the SEC? Who who wins from this? Who get Who's hurt? What have you? What have you? What do you make of all of it right now? Uh, Chase, hey, Chase. Yes. 
Hey, I'm sorry. You broke up on me. What was that? Oh, no, no, no. Um, when we're looking at the SEC and they've unveiled yeah. their conference-only schedule, um, what does it mean for certain programs more so than others? Does it just mean that Arkansas is going 0-10 in the, in the SEC? Like, mm-hmm. Is there one team that you look at that's going to benefit? I know Tennessee looks like they're going to add Ole Miss and LSU. Um what, do you think they still get a tune-up game? Because one of the things that Fulmer mentioned was trying to like um, get a ba- get a buy before Bama week, and that like teams are going to get two buys and to break it a little bit. Because playing an all SEC schedule is a far more difficult proposition than playing an all Big Twelve schedule. And what it's going to do the bodies and everything else like is are certain conferences and certain teams more excited about this than others or? Do you st- and then I guess the follow-up to that is, do you think there's still an opportunity to add one other non-conference tune-up game at some point in the schedule to 11? Or is that just completely out of the question? No, I think they've made the decision. I don't think they're going to go back. Uh, so, I, I, yeah, I think it's just going to be conference only. And it does, yeah, it does not bode well, obviously, for those teams who, you know, are – in a position where they're rebuilding or they have a new coach or they're at the, just the bottom budget wise, the historically the bottom kind of dwellers in the sec mm. who really rely on those non-conference buy games to get three or four victories yeah. every year. And that's why you could see, you know, a team potentially go winless in the league. Uh, it, it, uh, winless in general this year. It's, uh, it's something that is, is more, uh, Certain possible than uh, than when you have all these buy games in in the mix. So it it's tough for the little guys for sure. Uh, you know Mississippi State and Ole Miss, Vanderbilt, Kentucky. Uh, you know those teams have a vastly different budget situation than uh, the top half of the league, and it's going to be tough for them. What do you know about Gary Patterson's job security right now? <laughs> You know, I don't know much. Uh, I, I saw, you know, that he apologized for the racial slur that he used. It wasn't directed at a player, from what I understand, but it was said by him at least twice, it sounds like, from one account. So he apologized. And, it, it you know, the, the thing about this summer, we're having a lot of that where coaches are ha- going to have to realize they can't say and do things like they used to. Which is good. Um but also, like, I don't understand, like, I, I, this is going to be interesting to see. I mean, what happens to the recruiting? Like, what does it look like at Oklahoma State, Iowa, TCU, what their next couple classes look like? Because all these are just terrible looks and different kinds of looks. Iowa's still just different things. They had to fire their strength coach, and there's still more stuff coming out there. Um, Brian Ferentz, Kirk Ferentz's son is involved, so that's even messier. Um, whether or not he would actually remove his son as OC and all that kind of stuff. And then Oklahoma State, Gundy just keeps talking. And uh, Gary Patterson, I mean, just awful. And I, you have players protesting. Like, if they had just kept going, they're like, no, we're, we're still not going to go. Like, the apology is nice and all, but uh, no thanks. Do you think they would move on from Patterson, or do you think this would be – like, do you think it's over now, I guess, maybe? It's probably over. I mean, I, I think – you're you're going to see other schools and opponents and competitors use that in the recruiting trail because everything gets brought back up and used on the recruiting trail. So I'm sure that will be a, a issue that he will have to battle on recruiting for several months, maybe even years. But for the most part, you know, we live in a society that is forgiving and, and, uh, especially with everything going on right now with all the news, the news cycle and how it is every day, it seems like uh, you're going to see, I think um, it almost gets forgotten about I mean, it's, it seems like it's almost already forgot. You already have a new story cropping up with Colorado state players and the PAC 12 stuff. So it's just uh, the news cycle is very quick these days. Yeah, like Lane Kevin was like withholding meals at FAU is going to pop up tomorrow or something. Like it's just something else. Yeah, it's just going to be something crazy. Um, how do you expect the Pac-12 protest to end? How do you think this unfolds? Well, 
I think a few players will opt out. They, a couple players from Washington State have already, I believe, opted out. So I think think a few will. However, the vast majority, um, I, I believe, will play, and and their demands will not be met. I, I don't think, or certainly not all their demands will be met. Some of their demands are already in the process of being met uh, with a federal bill, an NIL bill, and then a bill, bill of right, athlete bill of rights. So some of this stuff is already uh, in the process of like, getting attained uh, even before they announced. But a couple of their their uh, demands, like cutting commissioner Pac-12 commissioners' pay and coaches, and getting fifty percent of the a 50% revenue is, uh... split. Yeah, <laughs> like not gonna NFL happen. players don't even get that. Like it, I, yeah, yeah, I don't think that's happening. Not, not, not gonna happen. So uh, I, again, I don't think it'll be forgotten as quick as this other stuff. But certainly, I think you're gonna see most of the players play. Um, I do think it's interesting because we saw Bateman's out, Virginia Tech's starting corners out. I wonder if, because I think a lot of the guys who need the exposure will go. But like, I wonder if just like three-fourths of the first and second round of the 2021 draft opt-out. I wonder if we see that more than anything. It's the only ones who really go out um, outside of the immunocompromised players, Um, just like the ones who have already locked up their draft stock where they're fine and have been told by agents and through the grapevine that they're fine if they don't play. Like, I I don't think Trevor Lawrence will do this because he doesn't seem like he's wired this way, but there really is no incentive because he's going number one probably either way. Um, I wonder if we see more of that. Um, and is there going to be a deadline like there was, like the NFL just instituted this week, or do you think it won't work like that at all? No, I don't think there'll be a deadline. And yes, I think you'll see a lot more players. Uh, this will be a, a somewhat a domino effect. We we've, we've seen it with so many things in college athletics. Uh, I think this will just be another another thing where um, you know the first domino falls and. Uh, there's several that follow. You know, the Illinois running back got it started, and we're already up to around, I think, around seven or eight Power Five players have mm-hmm. have opted out. So it, it'll that number will rise. Yeah. Last thing here, Ross. Um, something that I've been thinking about. I do. Do you think they have a bowl season and a college football playoff still, or do you think after the conference only games it's over and they're just gonna? have individual leaders or just do like some sort of uh, media vote coaches vote on who the national champion is, or how do you think this season actually ends? I do expect uh, some kind of bowl schedule in, in the CFP, the bowl schedule. I wouldn't be surprised if it were cut down a little bit, uh, or if there were even some things, even some options like to move around bowls or move them out of potential hot spot. I could see some certainly not a normal bowl schedule, but I do see some kind of bowl schedule. It would really surprise me if there wasn't a CFP, uh, and maybe that gets modified somehow. But I, um, I, I would, I would think there's going to be some postseason. If we have a regular season of college football. I think there'll be some postseason. I think you might be able to do the best version of a bubble with the bowl schedule. I don't know if you could do that, but if you could get like the um, the the Rose Bowl, just lock that up for a month. You could literally just get a bunch of games in there. Do the bubble, just house them at hotel, like have everybody mm-hmm. like March Madness for two weeks or something. Just do them all in two weeks, all in one place. Um, I, I mean, it would be a lot, but that seems like an idea or maybe just doing the playoff all that in one week like in one spot um i don't know i'm i'm very interested to see what they do with that if they make it through the season how they handle the bowl schedule and how they handle um the cfp because i need my cheese it's bowl so whatever they got to do to preserve that <laughs> um is priority number one yep fingers crossed but you're right that it, you could do some kind of bubble there certainly more easy than you could do for a regular season yeah Ross, what can we check out from you this week outside of all your great pieces and reporting on SI.com? Well, yeah, you could uh, just watch for news. It's been a nonstop cycle, so I don't think it's going to stop anytime soon. So we're going to keep uh, hopefully cranking out the, the news bits. And uh, you can follow all of my work at SI.com and uh, my Twitter at Ross Dellinger. All right, Ross, thank you so much for the time. I greatly appreciate it. Stay safe, sir, and keep up the great work. All righty, thanks. 
Hi, this is Chuck Dowdle of Bulldogs Roundtable, and I want to thank you for listening to another episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. Be sure to check out Chase's website at chasethomaspodcast.com and follow the Stone Mountain Native on Twitter and Facebook and listen to my show, Bulldog Roundtable, every Tuesday and Thursday from 9 to 9.30 on 680 The Fan. Have a great Bulldog Day, everybody. All right, we're back on the Chase Jones Podcast. I'm now joined by Podcast One superstar of the two-for-one NFL Draft Podcast with Mike Renner, Austin Gale. It's been a minute. It has, man. It's good to be on. Well, thank you for being here. Um, we got to figure out what we're going to do this fall, the whole Cincinnati thing. Uh, COVID's really, really getting in the way here, sir. Oh, man, it's bad. And uh, it's uh, I don't know if it's changing anytime soon, man. we still got to buckle down. we got a lot of work to do. Yeah. Well, I mean, the work you do kind of works for COVID, right? Like uh, your bunker, you're, you're, you're already in a bunker pulling tape, getting stuff ready, getting clips ready for Twitter. You, uh, it, I don't imagine a lot has changed on that front. You were already just a, a workaholic who was pulling video and watching film all the time. Yeah, I mean, I guess I'm just doing it more from home now. You know, yeah. PFF has everyone working from home here in Cincinnati. Can you go to the office or is it closed? It is closed. I think we're going to think about opening it back up in September before the games, but it, it all depends on if we can kind of return safely. Interesting, interesting. Um, who do you think is going to look most different coming back? Or are you still seeing pictures of people um, since it all started? Mike. Mike Renner is going to look the most different. He cut his hair. Oh. He is, uh, he's got the kind of classic white male cut, short sides, long little comb over top. It's, it's wild to see. We're, uh, you'll see it tomorrow on the podcast. Oh, my goodness. How Was that an emotional thing? Is he, how was, was he reeling from it? Was, did he have to get clearance from people? Like, how does this work? <laughs> I have no idea. I mean, he kind of surprised me with it. I was, you know, uh, on the two-minute drill of PFF video series, people uh, – PFF does, but I saw him. I was like, "Oh my goodness, dude's cut his hair. This guy's got a normal haircut now." Interesting. And Mike works out, right? Yeah, a decent amount. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know what's you know what's annoying about Mike Grinner? He's a good guy, well, and he's he's good <laughs> at his job. He's nice, and he looks like Mike Grinner. It's it's he's got a lot going for him. I don't like it. So yeah. you know, you want to look lose. those kind of guys. You want to look for a reason to be like, eh. But you can't with him. It's unfortunate. You hate to see it. Yep. You do. <laughs> um, but we're going to talk about a lot of different uh, 2021 NFL draft stuff um, tonight because I, uh, I mean, the NFL draft feels like forever ago now, but we're already gearing up. And I think we're going to think about it earlier than in previous years just because guys like Bateman, who I want to ask you about, has opted out. Uh, Virginia Tech quarterbacks opted out as well. Um, but before we get into any of that, what is the new pff college feature that uh you unveiled on twitter today what uh, do listeners need to know about this and what does this mean for the future yeah it's wild uh pff is finally going to unveil its college football advanced stats and grades that it's been selling to nfl and ncaa teams exclusively or near exclusively for a long time now but we're finally going to open it up open up pandera's box to kind of standard consumers and subscribers looking at every single grade, every single stat and snap for every FBS college player dating back to 2014 in a college football version of premium stats. And in addition to that, going to have um, an NCAA betting dashboard and uh, Seth Galena, who I would encourage everyone to follow, and PFF underscore Anthony, Anthony Trash, have put together a like 420-page preview magazine, college football preview magazine. So a lot of cool stuff coming out. I can't say the date just yet it is tbd at the moment but a lot, a lot of fun stuff on the college front coming out for pff awesome awesome um who are you already like when you look at your list your pre-mocks and who you're thinking about the 2021 class who are you already salivating over looking at tape of who who's on your oh man list? i think it has to be uh rondale moore chris mm. olave Jamar Chase, this receiver class, I'll say it right now, it's not too early to say it, is a lot better than the previous receiving class. I know that last class was great with CeeDee Lamb, Jerry Judy, K.J. Hamler, 
Um, Henry Ruggs, obviously. I think this receiving class is better. Jamar Chase is better. Rondell Moore is better. This is a group that you know could have multiple top ten picks come 2021. I really do think this wide receiver class, there's going to be a lot of people getting on board with this being a better class than last year's, even as good as last year's was. Interesting. Rondell Moore is like the guy that if you watch college, everyone's known about for a while, but just playing at Purdue, no one really knows. But he's just has all the makings of the next freak of nature. Does he have Tari Kill upside? Does he or does he give you a little bit too much Lavishka Chenault vibes? No, he's he's way more uh Tyree Kill than he is Lavishka Chenault. A lot okay. smaller, a jitterbug. I mean Percy Harvin is mm. another name that you could probably bring up as a as a comp for Rondell Moore. And the reason no one's heard about him is his true freshman year he practically broke PFF records for yards after the catch for reception, you know, yards for outrun, all those things. And then this past year, as a true sophomore, ended up getting injured only, you know, I think a, over 100 snaps into his 2019 season and was not able to play the rest of the year. So everyone's been kind of chomping at the bit to see more Rondell Moore, him coming into his true junior season. You can only hope that we're able to see even 10 games of him this upcoming season. If he didn't play, if he opted out, where would he go? Man, that is tough because coming off that big injury, too, I, I do not see him with the size concerns breaking into the first round. But mm. I, I think if he doesn't play this year, I could see him potentially falling into the second round because there's more concerns. I mean, the guys who have come out right now, we can kind of bring it up, the guys who have opted out now, Caleb Farley and Rashad Bateman, have the production from a grading standpoint, advanced standpoint, and the size profiles to be very good in the NFL. A bigger receiver like Rashad Bateman, a guy that can play outside and has won outside in Minnesota's offense. And Caleb Farley was the cornerback one entering this year. I don't think the cornerback class is necessarily deep enough to have someone overcome Caleb Farley after this year. I think both of those guys are in a different league. Rondell Moore, the injury concerns, he's not the biggest prospect. He only has one real full year. It was his true freshman season of production. I think there's enough question marks there that he could fall around too. I bet he plays this year. Interesting. All right. Do you expect more first rounders or people who have the production um, in the last two years to, to opt out? Who do you, who's still on the list that you're like, uh, I would not be surprised if player X opted out. I mean, the, the first two names that come to mind are obviously Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence, both of those quarterbacks. I don't think have a ton more to prove to be top five pick come 2021. However, I do think there'll be enough pressure from both those programs to keep them in school, to go chase, a conference championship because of those, how good those teams are. Caleb Farley wasn't winning a conference championship. Rashad yeah. Bateman wasn't winning a conference championship. You know, you're looking at, looking at guys like Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields who could actually go all the way to a national title game. So I think that could be enough pressure to keep them in school. I think the name to look out for is Penny Sewell, guy who, mm. you know, obviously tweeted, you know, guy who obviously tweeted hashtag we are united with the Pac-12, potentially boycotting the 2020 season if, you know, certain demands are met. I think he would be a guy they – the entire Pac-12 doesn't boycott, but he could be one of them that opts out knowing that his status this upcoming year is a little bit solidified. Interesting. That is That would be a big one because, I mean, is he still is he the highest-graded offensive tackle coming into the year for PFF? Absolutely. I mean, he was the highest-graded offensive tackle in the country this past year, and he's, I think, offensive tackle one and PFF overall prospect number three entering mm. 2020. Who are the top three right now? Top three, Justin, uh, Trevor Lawrence, not Justin Fields, sorry. Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, and Penny Sewell. Where's Trey Lance at the moment? Trey Lance, I think, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I do think he slips outside the top five. He might be there at six behind mm. Jamar Chase and one other prospect. Interesting. Okay. Najee Harris, PFF loves the running backs. I assume it's Najee Harris. <laughs> Najee Harris, I don't think, cracks the top 50. Mike Renner is not big on Najee Harris. So he mm. does have, you know, obviously an absurd athletic profile and absurd recruiting background. Guy had full videos made of him by Bleach Report at like 16 years old. I, I think he has the athletic ability and, and whatnot to be a top draft pick. However, Mike doesn't look at the running backs first. I'll tell you that right now. No, no, he doesn't. Um, the best transfer portal system change guys who? Hmm, I think Jimmy Newman. Has to be. Jamie Newman cracks okay. the top 50. He's there at number 50 in the Georgia quarterback. Obviously, people think maybe Jane Daniels or JT Daniels will start. I don't see that happening. I, Jamie Newman has got to be the starter there. I think he could do a lot of damage at Georgia. I know he's losing his guy, Sage Surratt, the wide receiver there at Wake Forest, but I think Georgia also 
is fitted with a ton of talent on that roster, both offensively and defensively. And in a relatively weak SEC this year, Alabama starting Mac Jones, LSU obviously moving on from Joe Burrow. I don't know. It could be an interesting year for Georgia. I don't think it's weak. I think it's just deeper. Like, I don't think there's Mm – like, LSU was just head and shoulders better than everybody else last year, where it wasn't even close. I just think there's going to be a lot of haves and haves and nots in the SEC this year, where, like, I think there's going to be, like, seven solid teams – and them just going conference only, I think you're going to see a lot of five and five, a lot of four and six, a lot of five and five. If they get to ten games, um, and you could be, it's like a great five and five. It's like a five and five Texas A&M or something like that. It's like a eight and two ACC team. Like I don't, yep. it's going to be skewed, <laughs> and it's going to it's going to suck for a lot of these teams. Like Vanderbilt and uh, Arkansas might go zero and ten this year. Like that's yeah, very I much mean, in play. Arkansas hasn't had hasn't played a good football game in a long time let alone one one but i love their quarterback room i think that's the weirdest part is like i think you can make the case that arkansas is the brightest future in the quarterback department outside of like i guess maybe georgia it's really weird because they have Hornsby mm-hmm. now who i like a lot kj jefferson who has a lot of upside i mean i i think Felipe franks who knows but like that those three and then jones is like a serviceable backup i don't know it's it's very strange that arkansas somehow accumulated a bunch of interesting high upside quarterbacks so if they can figure it out and Pittman can figure out that offensive line and give those quarterbacks time maybe they can surprise some people but uh I think they would just take one SEC win this year because I think they are 0 and 19 in their last SEC last 19 SEC games so it's been a while yeah it's it's not great but uh, I think Tennessee plays them this year so if they would like to keep that up that would be great with me um why does PFF like Jamie Newman so much because I I still don't really get it. Are you at all concerned about him moving from Wake to Georgia? Because you mentioned he's going to get a bunch of talent on offense and defense. Good system for him. But are you not worried about the end of last year? Are you not worried about the level of competition? Is there no concern at all going from the Dave Clawson offense to um, what they're going to be doing with Monken? Are you not at all concerned that Jamie Newman's up to it? And also, why are you down on JT Daniels a little bit? Yeah, I think with Jamie Newman, there's obviously an, a chance that moving from Wake Forest to the SEC, that the increase in competition with him kind of falling flat. I think Mike and I talked about it a bit on the podcast recently, talking about Jamie Newman has a high ceiling. He could improve his stock a ton if he goes in the SEC and plays well, but he could also fall out of the top 100 if you don't see a rise to the competition. It's very similar to another transfer prospect, former Central Michigan educator Mike Dana, who went mm. from Central Michigan to Michigan, and you saw his grading profile drop significantly, he ended up not being a high-profile prospect this past year. I think with Jamie Newman, the reason PFF is behind him is because you do see the high end in his game. He's a very good vertical lead thrower. He's one of the highest-graded passers when targeting receivers on verticals down the football field. And obviously, having Sage Surratt in those contested catch situations is great, but he's also very accurate pushing the ball downfield. I also think his athletic ability, a little bit underrated, could be more utilized in an offense that caters to his that, you know, rushing ability. But, you know, throwing the ball downfield, I, I think he's one of the better quarterbacks. And PFF is always going to be behind guys that are accurate throwing the football downfield. He does have a high percentage of turnover-worthy plays on his tape. But, again, if you can get that high end, reduce some of that low end, you got one of the better quarterbacks in college football. As for JT Daniels, He's just never graded well. Inconsistent, not a great decision maker, a lot of turnover-worthy plays. I think with him, it's night and day compared from a grading profile. I think Jamie Newman has enough upside to kind of beat him out. Interesting, interesting. Um, Sticking to quarterbacks because uh, quarterbacks are are the thing that people like and I like. Um, And when I think about um, Joe Burrow's rise, because we all know where he was on most teams' boards before um, he just blew up last year. We have Trevor Lawrence. We have Justin Fields, as you said, in your top two. We have uh, Trey Lance, who's rising up, the North Dakota State guy. Um, Didn't throw a pick last year. Crazy stuff. But who on the list right now is most likely to have the Joe Burrow leap into that elite top five pick conversation for the next year's draft? Man, I don't think think there is one. I mean, no one thought Joe Burrow was one either, to be fair. I guess it's hard to say. It's got to be somebody. Someone's going to rise. Someone's going to move up. It's got to be somebody. I think Brock Purdy, I, I do, I Ooh, do I like the it. top 30 prospects coming out of Ohio State. I, I, not Ohio State, Iowa State. And I think he's a guy though, that's already graded really well for PFF. So I wouldn't, I, he's not, Joe Burrow did not grade well in 2018. He was a guy that really leaped even beyond PFF's grading standpoint. But Brock Purdy is lower on some people's radars, but he, he has graded really well in PFF system so far. I think 
you know, Jamie Newman, you know, wasn't an elite rated quarterback this past year. He's the guy that could jump up a bit, but his name's already pretty well known. All right. I, I don't know. This Pretty's is a, a good shot. one. I, I, I'll, I'll go Spencer Rattler. Spencer Rattler. I mean, well, he can't come I'm out this year, to, can he? No, he can't come out this year, but he could have a pretty big rise. Mm. Man, you're right. Not draft eligible. I'll go. Oh, man, I don't I know. I got a Max name for you. I got a kid. name for you. Give me a name. Give me a name. KJ Costello. <laughs> no, I. I Former really five star, getting in Mike Leach's offense. He's gonna put up bonkers numbers. He's got good size. I I would not be surprised at all if KJ Costello just lit up everybody and like just moved up draft boards. Would not surprise this me. This tape slightest. is a bit ugly at Stanford, but maybe. I mean, Mike Leach is gonna throw the football yeah. a ton. He could. He could be. I mean. Gardner Minshew graded really well at Washington State. Yep. So did Anthony Gordon. I, I could see him kind of jumping up a bit, too. Uh, Everybody wants I'll their next Patrick Mahomes. That... People want their next yeah. gunslinger. Like, I think there's going to be do. a Patrick Mahomes effect of just, like, guy who puts up bonker stats in college, even if he doesn't win a lot of games, if he has the right profile and isn't scared. Like, I think there's going to be a lot of teams that are looking for their next Mahomes. And I think Costello might benefit from that. Everyone wants arm talent, man. They see Kyler Murray, Josh Allen. Obviously, Patrick Mahomes. People want to see guys that can make every throw. Man, you are not in on my KJ Costello take. <laughs> I can't. I can't get on board. I don't know. I, I I did not love his tape at Stanford. Man, there are some ugly throws on his tape. But I mean, I think going into Mike Leach's be fair, that Stanford team part. sucked and it was pretty bad the last couple of years. Like, yeah. and also Stanford. I don't understand. Like, they have the number one quarterback um, from his class. Um, and and they're right now with Mim or what was his name Davis? What is it? David Sims? What is his name? The, I think I think you're right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't understand. They they should be a lot better. And Stanford just kind of having these bad years and Costello not being as good as he should have been. Like they keep getting these five star prospect quarterbacks, these pro style guys, and it hasn't worked out in recent years. So I don't really understand what's going on at Stanford. Um, because David Shaw, by all accounts, great coach and had a lot of NFL buzz for a little bit, but uh, they've been bad. Um, Purdy's a great one though if you look at his numbers compared to a lot of other big 12 like his numbers are just they're bonkers and I think he's gonna be I think he's gonna be good and I would I would I don't know I just like his tape he's a gamer I like Purdy I like Purdy a lot um how is outside of Panay Sewell how is the 2021 offensive tackle class looking for teams that really could use uh and to to really focus on the offensive line in the 2021 draft is it shaping up to be better than this past year or is it very top heavy yeah i don't know if it's better than this past year but i do think there are some good names i think walker litter little obviously from stanford a former highly recruited guy that is coming off a big injury in 2019 i, I think if he can can get some time in 2020 he'll be a high profile prospect sam cosme Texas offensive tackle Alex Leatherwood of Alabama. I mean, sometimes some people like Alex Leatherwood, and some others like Jedrick Wills. Jedrick Wills more athletic, better power, more raw tools. But Leatherwood, one of the smoothest, smoothest offensive tackles I've seen in this class. A guy that already has very polished passing pass sets. I know in today's you know NFL and these drafts, you're only drafting tackles at the top of the first round if they're physical freaks like Tristan Wirfs, Jedrick Wills, Mackay Beckton, etc. But I think Alex Leatherwood, he won't be the physical freak like they were in the previous class, but I think he'll have, you know, technique that's already very good for a team that, you know, needs a tackle to come in and start soon. Hmm. Interesting. Well, the Falcons are good. I don't know if you knew this or not, but uh, Gary <laughs> and uh, Lindstrom look, look great. I'm really excited about that. Aren't you? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's tough, man. I mean, we, we talked about it a lot after they drafted those two guys early in the draft. It's, you know, if you're Do I want to hear this? <laughs> if you're expecting high-end production from young rookies, first-year, second-year offensive linemen, you're just not going to see it. It's so rare that you get a Mike McGlinchey like, or a Quentin Nelson right, yeah. right out of the gate. They're grading really well, not allowing a ton of pressure and pass protection. You just don't see that from rookies. And, you know, Juwan Taylor, the second-round pick out of Florida that um, you know, plays for the Jaguars now, is a guy that did not grade super well as a rookie, only, I think, 65, 67 but that's very good for a rookie when you look at compare it to previous years here at PFF. Seeing guys grade that well out of the gate, not allow a ton of pressure, especially on the bookends, is really impressive. I think with the Atlanta Falcons, you almost have to kind of throw the first year away. Same thing the Raiders did with Colton Miller, a guy that you know PFF wasn't super high on, really struggled as a rookie, but has consistently got better in the NFL. It's definitely Tom Cable. not necessarily an old man's – yeah, not, maybe not Tom Cable. But it's not necessarily an old man's position – I think it's more, it just takes, you know, three, four years before you can start to get, you know, solid production. Your dark horse Heisman favorite is who? 
Oh dear, Heisman, man, that's. I mean, it's Spencer Rattler. I'll, I'll go Spencer Rattler for that. Really one. bold I mean, of you Oklahoma to pick an Oklahoma <laughs> quarterback, Austin. Really Oklahoma's love when you go out on a limb on this podcast. Oklahoma is turning them out, and I mean, everyone's going to want to put money on Justin Fields, Trevor Lawrence. I, I think honestly, Spencer Rattler in that system again, ton of arm talent could do it all. I would be shocked if it's not Justin Fields. I mean, that's another offense, though. I mean, Seth Galina recently wrote a piece that was very good talking about you know Heisman candidates that have the easiest offense right. to work from. Justin Fields is right there. I mean, he's going to get a ton of open throws. So you saw, in addition to Chris Olave leading the NCAA percent of targets with one or more, you know, one or one step or more of separation. In addition to that, that system creates so many open throws for receivers. Brian Hartline is practically a magician. I wouldn't even categorize him as a coach, an absolute magician with what he's done with Ohio State's receiving core over the past you know few years he's been there. I, I think Justin Fields is going to put up stupid numbers and win enough games to win it. Yeah, like they're my preseason champion pick. Like that Ohio State is Ohio State team is stacked. They might finish number one in recruiting again. Like Ryan Day has just built this behemoth, and um, I, I think they're just too talented on both sides of the ball. Um, and Georgia fans, it's going to be brutal to see uh, Justin Fields <laughs> win the Heisman this year. I would say, and maybe the national championship. Like that, I just think they're complete uh, across the board, and I think they're they're the best team and should be the favorite. Um, what is the biggest difference between Haskins and Justin Fields? Is it just that Haskins doesn't take the kind of chances that Fields does, or what? What have you noticed from looking at those two? So, if you're a fan of a team and you're like kind of nervous because you saw what Haskins kind of was his first year in Washington, which isn't fair, and he still had a good connection with Terry McLaurin, your guy, uh, the receiver, um, out of actually Ohio State. But um, what has been the biggest difference when you look at the tape for Haskins at Ohio State versus um, Fields? What is their what what separates them? I would definitely say it's scary. I mean, to start with Haskins, I know he didn't have an ideal situation with Washington this past year. Got kind of got thrown into the fire in an offense that had Terry McLaurin and no one, even though there is some in the fantasy football community that are getting on the Steven Sims hype train. However, he did not grade well at Ohio State. He, he earned an 81, 82.0 PFF pass and graded Ohio State in a system that is very similar, if not identical, to what Justin Fields is playing in right now. That concerns me. A ton of open throws were created for Dwayne Haskins in Ohio State as well. I mean, hell, he had Terry McLaurin, one of the pair route runners in college football. K.J. Hill, obviously drafted to the, uh, I believe, Los Angeles Chargers this past year. I, I do think the Dwayne Haskins numbers at Ohio State, combined with what he looks like in Washington this past year, are concerning. And I think it's just downgrades across the board. Not as consistent from an accuracy perspective. Not as athletic. Not as mobile as Justin Fields. And I think he doesn't have the same arm talent either. Justin Fields has got a very, very nice arm, can really push the ball downfield, created super well, obviously, this past year, and I think he's going to continue to be one of the better quarterbacks in college football. The best Tennessee Vol prospect heading into 2021 is who? Oh, man. I'll tell you this. I don't think there's a ton of names on our preseason watch list playing for Tennessee. Okay. I, I, I okay. might have to do a tone deep dive here. Okay, tone it down. Let me, let me think here. Let me think. I'm kind of looking at each position in my head. I don't know if is there the is a guy I've Toto? watched. Maybe. I don't know. He's not in the 2021 NFL Draft Guide, which, no. by the way, does launch August mm. 17th. Only the 100 players fit into that one. I'll have to kind of turn on some more Tennessee tape to find a prospect. Not Jaron Garantano, it sounds like. Uh, you know, actually, I was talking to Seth recently, and he surprisingly was really excited about him. And oh. He thought, he you know, reads things very well, processes the game really well. And that's who Seth falls in love with. He doesn't fall in love with arm talent. He loves seeing guys like Jake Fromm. He loves Fromm a good Kirk who, Cousins. He's a big Kirk <laughs> yeah. Cousins guy. I mean, he called Jake Fromm a subtle genius playing oh in Georgia God. this past year, even though obviously oh he didn't have God. anywhere near the arm talent as some of the other quarterbacks in the class. I think we comped him to Chase Daniel mm. in the 2020 draft guide. I think Seth really liked Guantano, or Guarantano. He's got win a lot of college games. Yeah. Interesting. I mean, he falls in that group. Yeah, he's just Tennessee Jake Fromm. Um, and I think if you had plugged in Garantano on those last three Georgia teams, I think a lot of the results are the same. Um, and I think, I'm sure Georgia fans would disagree, but I, I don't think Jake Fromm was doing all that, that much. It was just a lot, of, a lot of great talent around him and just making the right reads and uh, doing cool stuff with the ball when he's drifting back into pocket because he can, he can spin yeah. the ball. I don't know if you knew this or not, Austin, but he spins the ball before he throws it. It's very cool. <laughs> That's fantastic. Um <laughs> What was the most interesting thing you learned about 
the safety position talking to Tyron Matthew and what you learned about just defense as a whole from him? Um, I, I think in a, he, he confirmed a lot of priors I had going into the interview, which I mm-hmm. feel like, I, you know, going into it, I asked him, you know, what he thinks makes a great NFL safety, where he thinks the safety position is going in the NFL and going into, or, you know, going in the NFL and modern day NFL and going into it, I was thinking he's going to preach versatility and obviously you got to play all these different positions. And he kind of spoke to that, you know, you, today's safety has to be able to play linebacker, play on the line of scrimmage, play in the slot. You have to be a defensive back. Like he said, he doesn't even categorize himself as a safety. He categorizes himself as a playmaker. Bottom line, that's how it goes. I mean, you just have to be the out Jamal there. Adams You're, position. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I think I really do think though, with the safety position in today's NFL, as much as teams are running 11 personnel, tight ends are looking more like Evan Ingram than Jason Witten these days. And I think for that reason, you need safeties that can cover. You need linebackers that can cover at all parts of, all parts of the football field. And Tyron Matthew is a very good example of that. Had an absolute, absolutely outstanding year for KC this past year. Which team gets drafted the most in the 2021 glass? That's how we'll wrap up here. Your early, which early prediction. Yeah, which, which school, I should say. Oh, let's think here. It, it honestly, could it be LSU? I don't know. They have a ton of talent on back the to back. I know. You know. I think it'll be Ohio State. You know, Sean Wade, mm. the, the guard, I'm, Wyatt Davis. You also have um, Justin Fields, obviously Chris Olave. There's a, there's a lot of you know players on the Ohio State team that will get drafted. Interesting. I like it. I like it. Austin, this has been great as it always is, sir. Thank you so much for making the time this evening. What should we check out from you outside? of the new PFF college information sheet that I will be checking out. What, uh, what, what do you want to plug, man? Yeah. I mean, just, you know, go to PFF.com. We've got a lot of content coming out right now. We're kind of preparing for redraft fantasy football season and hopefully what will be full NFL and NCAA seasons. Go to PFF.com, check everything out. Also follow me on Twitter, PFF underscore Austin Gale. There you go. Go do that. Austin, enjoy the Josh Jacobs tape from the Denver game last year that I'm sure you'll dive into in the next couple weeks to talk yourself back into Josh Jacobs and that oh uh, Las Vegas, excuse me, Raiders offense. I know you're you're dying to see Derek Carr get back in there at the play action with Jacobs downfield to to somebody, Tyrell Williams, whoever it is. Couldn't name a receiver right now off the top of my head in in, in uh, Vegas because that's the state of the Vegas Raiders. All I can think about is Spider-Man 3 suit Jason Witten. That is all that's on my mind. Austin, <laughs> thank you so much for the time as always, sir, and we will talk soon. Of course. Thank you. This has been Ingram, radio voice of the Atlanta Braves, and I'm here to tell you that you've reached the end of today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. As a friend of the podcast, I'd like to say thank you for listening to today's episode and hope you return for the next one. To show your support for the program, tell a friend or coworker or even a family member about the program. And if you're an Apple Podcast listener, leave the show a rating and a review. Goes a long way. That'll do it for me. But don't forget to listen to myself and the rest of the team at 680 The Fan and the Braves Radio Network this season. Go Braves! Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.